Well, we get right to the Word today. If you have your Bibles or your device, please turn to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, and I'm going to read a passage of Scripture from the New King James Version, but if you have a different version of the Bible, we'll get to the same place together. Amen. Let's look at Matthew chapter 6, beginning at verse 25. Bible says, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they are? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? So, why do you worry? Why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. Verse 30, now if God so clothes the grass on the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things, but seek ye First, the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. We're in a series called Follower. And we've taken this from the social media networks. We've kind of stolen that logo there, the hashtag follower. And, uh, you know, where you like something on Facebook or Twitter or you know, a myriad of other social network uh, type of apps. And, uh, but what we've done here is we've looked at how the world looks at a follower, and we looked at how Jesus looks at a follower. And today we're going to just emphasize for a few moments, followers put Jesus first. Follower puts Jesus first. And so the Facebook definition of a follower might be one that goes on your Facebook page and clicks like or clicks follow or goes on your Twitter page and clicks the little thumbs up. Now you're a follower. Let me give you my definition of a follower. My definition of a follower is a person who knows, who loves, and serves Jesus as the supreme passion of life. All that sounds good. You know, I, I know Jesus. I know who he is. I've heard of him. I've read the Bible a few times and been to church. I know who he is. I, I, would, I would say that I love Jesus. How many would say that you love Jesus? I would say that I love Jesus and I, I, I try to do what he teaches. Uh, you know, as a supreme passion, well, that's a little bit harder, but I, yeah, I, I believe that God is a supreme being and all-knowing. He's omniscient and omnipotent and all of those things. And then where we get tripped up sometimes is everything else. 
Everything. How much is left out of everything? And what about your children? What about your spouse? What about your money? Come on, what about your job? What about all those things that you deem of paramount importance in your life? What about your education? No, Jesus said everything else comes second. You see, a, an Instagram follower is a fan. You know, I have people on Instagram maybe that I follow or maybe I'm a fan of that person. No matter who it is, maybe they're a movie star, a sports figure, even some of us, uh, you know, hardcore church people follow preachers and different things like that. Uh, maybe just interesting people, friends that we know, family. We, we click on there and, say, and we say, yeah, we like that and we follow them. That makes us a fan. But I want to tell you something this morning. Jesus is not looking for fans. Jesus is not just looking for someone to go, yay, go, Jesus. I was so glad to see what he did. He's looking for some folks that will invest their lives into him and his word, much like he has for us. He's already done it. He's looking for some who are completely committed to him where everything else comes second. And so to be a true follower, we realize that we are on a journey. It just doesn't happen. You don't just wake up one morning and say, I'm a follower. We'd like to do that. I'd like to think that I could just wake up and say, hey, you know what? I'm a follower of Christ. You can wake up and say, I want to be a follower. I want to get there. I want to be a follower of Christ. But to get to that place, you don't just wake up and you're there. In fact, you don't just give your life to the Lord, experience a salvation experience, and all of a sudden, you're there. Coming to church and even giving your life to the Lord doesn't make you a disciple of Christ. That's what we have to realize, see? And it's a journey. We've talked about the admirers. That's the many. That's the multitude, rather. That's all of those who heard about Jesus and maybe he's done some things and he's healed some people and he, you know, he, I heard that he was out on this boat and he was walking on water. I didn't see it, but I heard about it and it got around town and I want to go see who this guy is for myself. What's all the hubbub about? Those are admirers. And then uh, there's those who they want to go a little further. They have some questions. They're inquirers like Nicodemus was, how he came to Jesus at night and he had some questions. And then we talked about the responders. Not only do they have questions, but they have uh, an all-important question that they must get answered. And that is, what more do you want me to do? You get to the point where you say, okay, you know what, I get it now. What more can I do? I have a revelation about who you are. And Jesus would say to you that this wasn't taught to you in church. Your pastor didn't get up and teach you this thing about how now you have this revelation. Maybe you got some good teaching. Maybe you saw some stuff on TV. Maybe you read your Bible. But all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit came and began to reveal some things to you. And without the Spirit of God, you'll never realize who Jesus really is. But all of a sudden, you got a revelation. Oh, my Lord, he is the Messiah. He is God. He is the Logos. This is Jesus, omnipotent, omniscient. He is Jehovah Jireh. 
and I can call him Jesus. Here's Jehovah Nisi, my banner, when I go into battle. He's right there covering me, and I can call his name Jesus. He is everything that I need. And you have that revelation, and so you respond. And you say, what more can I do, Jesus? And then there are those, the few, who take that next step and become a follower. We talked about it a little bit last week, and we're going to talk a little bit more about what it means to be a follower today. And then finally, we'll talk about being a reproducer. Now, we look at this scripture here, uh, this passage of scripture, and we pull out a verse from this whole passage, Matthew 6.33, and what that means. It's talking about being a follower. You see, followers are those who have decided. You ever heard the old hymn, I have decided? Come on, to what? No what? No turning back. The cross before me, the world behind me, no turning back. Followers are those who have decided to devote all of life, everything they are, to Jesus. To live like Jesus, to love and to serve like Jesus. Your entire life is reoriented as you put Christ at the center. You see, everything then changes. I read this to you out of the New King James Version, Matthew 6, 33, but, but seek ye first the kingdom of heaven and its righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. Let's take a look at that in some other versions of the Bible. I, I like to do that from time to time. I'm a person who, I realize that the King James Version of the Bible is probably the closest translation to what the original text was, but it has a lot of archaic English in it. We, we know that, and that's why people read different versions of the Bible. I personally uh, kind of like the New King James Version myself because it upgrades some of the thous and thus fors and the peradventures uh, up to some, some modern English, you know, to you and yours instead of thine and thee and thou, and, uh, but it has basically the same message. But then there's other versions that have expounded on that. And I, I kind of always go to the New King James first, and then I kind of look at other versions. But um, I guarantee you, if you love the Lord and you're really seeking his face, the Spirit of God will not let you go awry. Amen. He will not let you go awry. Okay? So I want to look at some other versions. Some of these you may uh, have never heard before. The Phillips version. Anybody ever heard of that? says this, set your heart first. That word first is in there. It doesn't just say set your heart on his kingdom. It says set your heart first on his kingdom and his goodness, and all these things will come to you as a matter of course. In other words, if you do that part of it, you don't have to worry about it. He just told us, don't worry about all these other things. Why? Because you're seeking me first. Another version says, but put God's kingdom first, do what he wants you to do, then all those things will also be given to you. Why then is it so difficult for us to really get that concept? It's easy to say. It's easy to preach. It's easy to receive. But it's a little more difficult to live out in our life. Come on, I mean, if you were really honest with yourself, you would realize that it's difficult to get up in the morning and the first thing you think about is the kingdom of God. 
and how I can display the kingdom of God, how I can press into the kingdom of God today. Come on, when your boss tells you something you don't want to hear at work, it's very difficult to think, how would Jesus react in the kingdom of God to this situation? You see, what we do, saints, is we focus on self. And Jesus doesn't want us to be self-centered. He wants us to be Jesus-centered. But it's difficult because we've always been with ourselves. We know ourselves. Come on. I mean, if there's anybody in this world I can trust, it's me. I know what I'm going to do. Even when I let myself down, I already knew it. And I can forgive myself because I'm with me all the time. I don't know what you might do, but I know what I would do. And so we rely on our own self. But we have to realize that is self really the main thing in life? I mean, we're taught in our society from an early age, take care of yourself first. Even when you go on the airplane. Come on, Pastor, you've ridden a lot of miles on an airplane. And you know on the airplane, they always talk about, should we lose cabin pressure? And those little things come down out of the sky. We don't know where they are, but they come down somehow, miraculously out of the sky to give you oxygen. Always put yours on first, which is the right thing to do, by the way. I'm not... But we're just taught that. Put yours on first, and then if there's somebody with you, you must then help them. But it's ingrained in us that you must help yourself first. Take care of yourself first. And I'm not telling you that in every situation that's not the right thing to do, but what I'm saying is it's so ingrained in us to when we come to the Word of God and when it comes to following Jesus, we don't even look that he's saying something different when it comes to him. We're just used to and we're programmed to protecting ourselves to self-preservation. But we need to understand what the main thing is. Stephen Covey said, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. <laughs> but it's difficult to do that if you don't know what the main thing is. Well, we just heard what the main thing is. Seek ye what? The kingdom. And we're in a Bible study on, on Wednesdays and, uh, about the kingdom of God. And I think it's a very good study. Not because I'm leading it, but because of the content. And because of, uh, you know, just the word of God. And, uh, how, how many are here on Wednesday nights? Could you testify that we're having a good time on Wednesday nights? Talking about the kingdom of God and how important that kingdom of God is. You know, I asked a question. On Wednesday night, it was kind of a trick question, a little bit. Uh, you know, I asked, but I asked a question. I said, "There's three things. Now, if I give you these three things, I'd like for you to rank them in proper order. You know, according to what you think they would be. You've got the church. I would think the church would be pretty important. I mean, Jesus died for her, which is you and I. The gospel. Come on, we talked about the gospel a couple of weeks ago." Gospel's important. I mean, without the gospel, you can't get saved. It says the preaching of the gospel. And you got the kingdom of God. I would think that that's pretty important, too. If you were to rank them, which would be difficult, because you would say, well, they're all three important. How could I put them in order? If you were to rank them, which would you put first, second, and third? Which would you say is most important? Many people say, well, the church. <laughs> Pastor already knows, so he's giving away the answer, you know. <laughs> 
Many people would say the church because the church is the vehicle, uh, you know, that uh, God has put in the earth to preach the gospel. And then others would say, well, it's the gospel because without that good news, right, without that good news, people can't hear about the Lord. Others might say the kingdom. And I would tell you it is the kingdom of God. And I'll tell you why, because God said, my kingdom is everlasting. It has always been here and it will always be here. See, the church is going to go away, the church as we know it. One, There's going to be a day when he will crack the sky and he will gather all of those that belong to him. Come on. And then there will be no more need for the church. There will be no more need for us to live by and walk by faith because we're going to be right there with him. You'll be right there in the kingdom. You see, the gospel of the kingdom, if you study it, it's really not just the gospel of the cross. It's the gospel of the kingdom. The gospel of the kingdom of God and the church are simply vehicles, as important as they are, to get everyone into the kingdom of God. This is why Jesus is saying, seek ye first the kingdom of God, his righteousness. All these things, come on, shall be added unto you. So then we say, well, what does it mean to seek the kingdom of God? Well, I look at it this way. To seek means to discover, to endeavor, to obtain. I want to obtain. I'm not just looking to see what it is. I want to obtain it. It's to reach for. It's to pursue that thing. To aim at. I'm aiming for the kingdom. That's what I'm going for. Persistent, strenuous effort. In other words, I'm not going to give up. I've been reading in my, in my quiet time a little bit uh, uh, in the book of Genesis. I just decided to start at the beginning. Begin at the beginning. The old Count Basie song. Most of you guys may not know that, but pastor knows it. Yeah. You know it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> of course he does. <laughs> Begin the begin. Yeah. So I went back to the beginning and just started reading. And I, I, I came across where you know, there was Jacob and he was... He was out there in the desert and uh, he had been through some things and he had, uh, you know, he was a usurper in case you don't uh, know kind of what that means. It means he he kind of stole his brother's uh, birthright, you know, and uh, that type of thing. And he'd gone through all this stuff. And but then uh, he and he went through, you know, 14 years of serving his 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 father-in-law and that uh, was tricked and just been through all these things in his life. And he was out. And all of it, he was out by himself, and uh, he, he laid down, and he put a rock down for his pillow. You know, he was out in the wilderness, put a rock down on the ground, laid down there, had a dream. Remember that dream about Jacob's ladder and all of that kind of thing? And then one time when he was out there, all of a sudden, uh, a man came to visit him, and he had a revelation. He said, wait a minute, this is not just a man, this is an angel of the living God. And he began to wrestle with that angel. And, and he wouldn't let him go, and so much so until the angel finally at some point had to touch his, the hollow of his thigh and put his thigh out of joint, you know, just to get him to let him go. And he still wouldn't let him go, even though he was hurting. And the angel said, let me go. He said, I will not let you go until you bless me. Can you imagine what that, that's like to grab onto something so much so until even if it, you get hurt along the way, you still don't let go of that thing. You don't give up on it. You still pursue it with a strenuous effort. That's the way we are to be about the kingdom of God. 
Nothing is going to turn me to the side from this kingdom. I need to know what it is. I need to know how to press into it. I need to know how to inherit it. I need to know how to perceive it. I need to know how to possess it. The Bible talks about all of those things about the kingdom of God. If you want to be a follower of Christ. See, this is what it means when we talk about deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me. That's what Jesus is talking about when he says all these things. First means the foremost in place, the foremost in rank, the foremost in value. Nothing else comes second. It's the starting point or a place of a new departure. We're going on from here. This is, I can do nothing else without this first. Now that I am saved, now that I've given my life to the Lord, what next? Do I die and go to heaven? No. Now I need to seek the kingdom of God and live the abundant life that he promised me. Come on. We live so beneath our means because we don't seek after the kingdom of God. So paramount, so important. What does it mean to put Jesus first and live as the second? It means that he's before everything, before all my thoughts, my dreams, my reactions. Come on. He is the first. There's an old preacher, E. Stanley Jones, and a woman once said to him, she said, Dr. Jones, you are absolutely obsessed with the kingdom of God. His reply was this. He said, I wish that were true because that would be a magnificent obsession. (laughs) If I'm going to have any obsession, it ought to be for the kingdom of God. Listen to some of these other versions of Matthew 6.33. The Amplified says, but seek, aim at, and strive after, first of all, his kingdom and his righteousness. His way of doing and being right. His way. And then all these things taken together will be given you besides. Be put on top. The Weast version says this, but seeking first the kingdom and his goodness, all these things, all of them, it says, shall be added to you couple more, the Godspeed version. Some of these I never even heard until I started looking it up. It said, but you must make his kingdom and uprightness before him. Your greatest care and all will be yours over and above. God is able to do exceeding abundantly. Above, above all that you ask or think. And then the Barclay version says this, make the kingdom of God and life and loyalty to him the object of your endeavor. And you will get all these other things as well. They'll all come to you. We don't want to be that person that sits on the sideline. We don't want to be that person that does things halfway. There's a, there's a song probably, now I know a lot of you may not know this one because it's a old R&B song my mom used to listen to when I was little, a group called Heat Wave. You might know him, Brother Carter. And uh, they had a song, you might know him, Brother Vincent. Old song, and they used to sing this song called Ain't No Half-Stepping. Ain't No Half-Stepping. You know what? I apply that to the kingdom of God. When I'm following the Lord, I'm singing Ain't No Half-Stepping. I'm going all the way. I mean, he might kick me out because I can't sing that well. But I'll tell you one thing, I'm not half-stepping. 
Everybody don't know what half-stepping is. That means doing it halfway. No half-stepping. We need to go for it. Go for it all. Throw everything into it. Why not? You never know. You might be like the Hoosiers and just pull the game out at the end. <laughs> you just might do it. I gave him no hope, Pastor. I gave him no hope at all, Scott. I said, they're going to get demolished. <laughs> I'll tell you how much faith I have, right? But they didn't listen to me, thank goodness. Nor should you listen to all those naysayers about you. Don't listen to them. Because God has something different to say about you. He has something different to say. And I don't care what you've been through in life. I don't care the mistakes you have made. Come on, you want to compare some mistakes? We can sit down and compare some mistakes sometimes. But I'm not going to do that because God doesn't want us to dwell on that. Come on. But if we were, we could compare now. <laughs> Come on. All of us in here could compare mistakes. Everybody's made mistakes. But listen, it doesn't matter. Repent. It's not so hard. You think it is? It's not that difficult. God is calling you to repent. Go before the Lord. Say, Lord, I know those things were wrong. But, and you know what? Listen, I believe, but help thou my unbelief. Where I lack, where my weakness is, help me with that, Lord. Help me with that. My son went for basketball open, open gym tryouts yesterday. And, uh, you know, one of the things that I'm, I'm trying to get him to see, and I was talking with Brother Jay about it this morning, he's real strong on defense. So when, you know, when he plays defense and they try to get by him, they can hardly get by him because he's, he's a smothering defender. You know, he's, he plays good defense. He can shoot okay, too. He has a pretty good shot, you know. But then dribbling is a little different story. He can't dribble that well. And so what I'm trying to get him to see is when you go out there and practice, don't practice on your defense so much. Don't practice on your shooting. Practice on your dribbling. Work on your weakness. Work on your weakness, saints. Where do I lack? Do I lack in prayer? Well, then that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to set my face to prayer. All right? Do I lack in being kind to others? Then I'm going to make a point to be kind to people every day this week. Come on, where do I lack? We don't want to be that person on the sideline. I want to be in the game. I don't know about you. And there's an old, there's an old Peanuts cartoon. Anybody remember Peanuts? And uh, Lucy was sitting there talking to Charlie Brown, and she told him, she said, Charlie, she said, some people put their chair on the deck, and they face it this way so they can see where they've been. Some people put their chair on the deck and they face it this way so they can see where they are now. And some people put their chair on their deck so they can see where they're going. He said, well, I can't even get my chair unfolded. <laughs> That's Charlie Brown. Listen, we don't want to be that person. I, I was listening to a tape one time years ago, and it really, it really hit me. A guy was was preaching and he made a, he just made a statement that just stuck with me out of this whole sermon. It was back when there was cassette tapes. I know many don't remember that either, young people. There's these things called cassette tapes and they, but anyway, um, and uh, I was listening to this cassette tape of this guy preaching and uh, he was talking about this very thing about just putting, putting your all, giving your all to the Lord and, you know, and trusting him, you know, that your heart's on your sleeve type of thing. And he said, you can't win if you're not in the game. And that thing just stuck with me all these years. You can't win if you're not in the game. You'll never obtain the kingdom if you don't throw yourself into it. Why not try it? 
I tell my children all the time, listen, don't, don't, don't wake up one day and you're 35. I can say that because they're young. And uh, I say that to you, Brother Matthew. Don't wake up one day, 35, and say, what if I would have tried that thing that I thought God was leading me to do? What if I would have went to IU for music or tried out for the basketball team or opened that business or whatever it is? You know, Dorothy didn't want to do that. She opened her business and she's successful now. She could have been here today saying, I wonder what would happen if I would ever tried that thing, right? No, throw yourself into it. Throw yourself into this thing and see what God has for you. So what does it mean to put Jesus first in your life? It means no one, no one comes before him. He is the first. First is first. Head master, come on, Lord, comes before all others. He has the highest ranking. Don't just consider him in your decision making. Make him your decision maker. That makes sense? People say, consider Jesus in your decision making. Sounds good, doesn't it? Like that bumper sticker, you know, Jesus is my co-pilot. Sounds like a right thing. But I've come to the conclusion, I'm, the one, and I'm not going to consider him when I'm making a decision. He's going to be the decision maker. I'm going to him to say, what should I do? Jesus is not my co-pilot. He's the pilot and the plane and the gas and the engine, the carburetor. He's the wheels. He's the wind. He's the runway. Come on. He's the clouds. He's the atmosphere. He's everything. I'm just along for the ride. Just along for the ride. So here are some things that we need to know. First of all, to seek first is to what? It's to place Jesus on the highest place in your life. There is no higher place than Jesus. We must know that. Philippians 2.9 says, Therefore God elevated himself to the place of highest honor. He's talking about G, the Father to Jesus and gave him the name that is above every name that is the name of Jesus and we must see him that way so to seek him is to see Jesus on the highest place in our life we must do it secondly to seek first is to remove all the clutter in your life it's a difficult one because some of us don't even know what clutter is in our life some of us don't realize the clutter that's in our life. Things that we think we need that we must hang on to. You know, one of the things that I love about my wife is, my wife is, if there's a word that is opposite of hoarder, that's what she is. Okay? She'll, she'll throw away anything in a minute. I mean, really. It, it's, you know, it's like, well, we don't really need that. It's gone. You know, sometimes I come home and be like, well, you didn't need that. It's you ain't used it in three years. I'll be like, well, yeah, I guess I didn't use it in three years. <laughs> it's gone. It's out of here. I don't know what that word is, but opposite of hoarder, whatever that is, that's what she is. You know what? That's what we need to become in our spiritual life and in our life. The things that, that really take up our time that we think are so important to us. We need to have a garage sale. Come on. Some of us, some of us need to have a garage sale. And get rid of some things. Put some stuff on eBay. Get rid of it. And then if nobody uh, bids on it, just give it away. Come on, get rid of some of these things. They're not so important to me. They're not paramount. 
A.W. Tozer said this. His, he had a prayer that he prayed to the Father. and he, he said, Father, I want to know thee, but my coward heart fears to give up its toys. I cannot part with them. This is A.W. Tozer, a great preacher. He said, without inward bleeding. I cannot part with them without inward bleeding. And I do not try to hide from you the terror of the parting. I come trembling, but I do come. At least I come. Clutter of unnecessary activities, things, habits, attitudes. We need to have a spiritual garage sale and clean out all this clutter. What is the main thing in your life? What are the first things that push out all the non-essentials out of the way? Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Number three is to seek first is to follow God wholeheartedly. And this is what I've been talking about when I say throw everything into it. Don't just say, well, yeah, I'll kind of follow him to see, you know, what he does and what he says, you know, kind of from afar. No, you don't want to follow. You just want to be an admirer. You just want to be an inquirer. You just want to ask a few questions. But to be a follower, you have to throw everything into it and get rid of those things that you want to hold on to. Listen to this illustration. I found this. It says, it is helpful to realize that most of the problems we are fretting about are bound to use by the hold we have upon them. They're bound to the use by the hold that we have upon them. In other words, what that's saying is they're, they're as valuable as we make them. Okay? That stronghold that we have on them makes them valuable. If we let them go, they wouldn't be so valuable. You understand that? The story is told of an expedition of scientists who were on a mission to capture a particular species of monkeys in the jungles of Africa. Listen to this now. Listen to this. It was important that the monkeys be brought back alive and unharmed. Okay, they couldn't shoot the monkeys and bring them back. And so using their knowledge of monkey ways, the scientists devised a trap consisting of a small jar with a long, narrow neck on it. Into the jar was placed a handful of nuts. Several of these jars were staked out while the scientists returned to their camp confident of catching the monkeys. Hmm. Scenting the nuts in the bottle, a monkey would thrust his paw into the long neck and take, grab hold of a fistful of nuts. Listen to this now, listen. But when he tried to withdraw the prize that he had just grabbed, he discovered that his clenched fist wouldn't come back through the narrow neck of the bottle. So he was trapped in the anchored bottle, unwilling to let it go. When the scientists returned, they easily took the monkeys captive. Why? Because they wouldn't let go to get their hand out of the bottle. What a trap. The world has us in this trap, saints. We may smile at the monkeys thinking how foolish they were. But in some respects, we are just like them. We cling to the very things that hold us back, remaining captive through the sheer unwillingness to do what? Let go. 
How many times have you heard the phrase, let go and let God? It is such a cliche phrase now that it really doesn't even mean anything when you hear somebody say it. But it is so true and it is so deep. Let go and let God. Number four is to seek is to follow and honor Jesus in everything I do. Everything you do should honor Jesus. Everything. If you're doing something and it doesn't honor Jesus, maybe I shouldn't be doing this. Something to think about. Number five, to seek is to have an appetite for spiritual things. 1 Corinthians 2, 14 to 16 says, But the natural man does not receive the things of God, of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. In other words, be a spiritual being, seeking after spiritual things. Have an appetite for it. Don't be satisfied with just a small thing. Don't be satisfied with somebody preaching on Sunday morning and saying a few clever phrases and that's it. No, you seek it for yourself. Okay? You seek this thing out for yourself. It's my desire for you. Number six, to seek first is to commune with God first. Above everything else, to commune with him. Don't make him second. Don't make him third. What is that, what is that saying? Prayer should be our first resource, not our last resort. Often it is our And if it is your last resort, still pray. Don't, don't, don't not pray, okay? God knows that. But just know next time it should be my first resource. Next, to seek first is to be ambitious for God's purposes, setting self aside. Setting myself aside. Alexander Graham Bell, someone I've studied because I've worked for AT&T, he died while dictating a memo in which were written these words, so little done, so much to do. He was unfulfilled in life. He felt like he had so much more to do. This goes back to my statement. Don't find yourself at 60, at 65, at 70, at 80, saying, what would have happened if I would have just followed God? What would have happened if I would have tried that thing? What would have happened? Lastly, when Jesus is first, you live second. Living second is not easy. It takes persistence, submission, willingness to put self under. I am second. You don't often hear that, do you? I am second. Woo! Number two. Number two. Number two. <laughs> I remember driving to work and somebody was trying to tell me they were number one, but you can't live without corniness. Only a few get that, but that's all right. Second, coming next after the first in order, your place, your rank, time. It's all inferior to the first. It's subordinate to the first. 
Finally, putting Jesus first in my life, giving Jesus the preeminence in my life first, making Jesus my example to follow and mimic, and placing Jesus before all things in my life, making Jesus number one, has to be our prayer. It has to be our confession. It has to be what we say every single day. I am going to make Jesus first. How many this morning want to make Jesus first in your life? 